if you've got access to an outdoor paradise, use it. I mean, this is like you've got God on speed dial in your backyard. It's fantastic. It's just amazing. Hi, I'm Dan Rubenstein, and this is The Grand Tourist. I've been a design journalist for nearly 20 years, and this is my personalized guided tour through the worlds of fashion, art, architecture, food, and travel, all the elements of a well-lived life. Before season five starts this fall, we have something very special lined up to help you enjoy the dog days of summer. Welcome to The Great Outdoors, sponsored by Janice AC, a leader in design-driven outdoor furniture. In this three-part series, we're going to explore the South African bush in search of elusive pangolins and majestic rhinos, and get some gardening advice for a post-pandemic world. But now, it's time for a drink. On this episode, the Grand Tourist is going to let down some of his non-existent hair and chat with some dear friends about entertaining outdoors. After all, what creative person today, whether artist or architect, doesn't enjoy a good spritz on a terrace somewhere? We're going to meet two incredible women who really know their way around a dinner party. One of these women is Rebecca Gardner, who in my view is the ultimate Southern hostess. As the founder of the company Houses and Parties, she not only designs special events and interiors, but sells joyful, quirky, and civilized tabletop and accessories online. She has tons of practical advice anyone can follow, and I've experienced her genius firsthand. More on that later. But first, I chat with the American-born, Milan-based entrepreneur, style maven, and former journalist, J.J. Martin, founder and creative director of La Double J. I first met J.J. when she was writing for magazines like Wallpaper, but in 2015, she started her own little online shop selling her collection of vintage dresses. Now, years later, La Double J is a fully-fledged fashion and lifestyle brand with a stunning flagship in the heart of Milan, next to Chanel and across the street from Bottega Veneta. If I could trust anyone for advice on living well, it's JJ. I wanted to ask her how she's adapted to Italian life, how she started La Double J, and if she approves of a pig in a blanket. So I know you pretty well, but for the listener, if you could explain to people what La Double J is and who J.J. Martin is. Well, sure. It's my pleasure. I am an American who's been living in Milan for the last 21 years, having my birthday this month, 21 years in Italy. And I was originally a journalist in Milan, writing for fashion and design publications in English. <laughs> and in 2015, I decided to launch my own website, which at the time was dedicated to selling my vintage collection of clothing and jewelry. But I showed it all on the Creative Women of Milan. And this gave me an opportunity not only to have models for free, because I had no money and no investor, but it also gave me the opportunity to peek inside their homes, inside their closets, on their tables, how they entertained, and really give a glimpse of this magical world of what it's like to actually live like an Italian, which I had been learning over my first 15 years in that great nation. And since then, the company has developed and morphed and merged and transformed and expanded in so many, just like all creations. I was called Double J, a very strong spirit baby who's just spinning through the cosmos and constantly morphing. We now make our own collections. So at first I was selling my vintage collection that I've been collecting for 20 years. And now we make our own ready to wear evening dresses, ski jackets, beach kits, and all of our own tabletop, porcelain plates, Murano glasses, 
table linens, and everything we do is 100% made in Italy, oftentimes working with historic Italian suppliers. And again, it's like this feel rouge, always back to Italy, always back to what I call the motherland, this great country where I really came of age, got polished up, and really learned how to be the best version of myself. Where are you from originally as an American, and how did you first find yourself coming to Italy? I grew up in Los Angeles, actually, before it was cool. So L.A. in the late 70s, early 80s was not the place to be. (laughs) I grew up in a really sporty family, not at all kind of culturally attuned. We did a lot of hunting, camping, fishing, water skiing, snow skiing, that kind of stuff. There were volleyball players and surfers in my family. And I always had a love for fashion and always had this like wistfulness. I When I got the first opportunity to travel abroad in college, I went to Paris. I couldn't wait to go to Paris. And I eventually made my way after Berkeley, where I went to university, I made my way to New York and started working for ad agencies and then worked at Calvin Klein in their marketing department. And while working there, I met an Italian man at a party and we started long distance dating because he was based in Milan. And I did what every American basically did in the early 2000s, nobody was moving to Italy unless they fell in love with an Italian man. So I was a big cliche. And when did you start La Double J? How many years has it been? Because it hasn't been that long. I feel like it was yesterday. I know it does feel like, and weirdly, it feels like yesterday. And it also feels like 1000 years ago. I opened the doors in 2015. And so we're on our seventh or eighth year now. It's pretty crazy. And we now have 60 people working for us. It's, oh, I mean, I started the whole thing by myself. It's just, it's nuts. Your sort of motto of live like an Italian is something that is so connected to the brand. Even, I would say, four years ago, you were doing your first tabletop collections and sort of this idea of entertaining seems so intertwined with you and the brand. And like, what is your personal history of, of entertaining? Like, do you, are you someone who entertains a lot? Like, what is, what is it like to kind of visit JJ for lunch? <laughs> Actually, I am the only one that eats lunch over my desk at the office because all the Italians are doing the civilized thing and going out to get their lunch. I learned so much from the Italians on this topic. When I first moved I knew how to make a salad. I knew how to like boil water, but that was about it. And I moved to to Milan in 2001 where there was no takeout food. I didn't understand where prepared food existed. Now I know exactly where it is, but it's not obvious when you get there. The Italians, especially the Milanese, are great entertainers. They're great cooks. They all prepare things at home. There's such this culture of really sitting down and enjoying and savoring meals with families, with friends, with two people, with 22 people. And I had to learn that. I mean, first of all, I was studying cookbooks, which by the way, no Italian ever does. They never use cookbooks. They're always trained by their grandmother or their mother. But I was a really keen student and I would be interviewing people. Whenever I went to someone's house, I would take notes. I would ask some questions. I would ask for recipes. And I just really observed. And that also became at the beginning when I launched Double J, it was really to show those women, those like miraculous, marvelous women, these incredible tastemakers and entertainers and just show how effortless everything is. Because even though everything is so polished and beautiful, what makes Italy special is how relaxed they are and joyful. So you never very rarely go to an uptight dinner party. It's not very Italian. 
to do that. I mean, sometimes I'll be at someone's house where there's like white glove service and the waiter going around to like serve everyone. But that's not typical. Italy is a bit of what they call a casino. It's chaos. It's that spin and that wonderful circle that's just a vortex, basically. So you'll find one of the things I had to really embrace was that chaos and realizing that when I was hosting, friends would just come unexpectedly with more friends. You just had to like go with the flow. They were not going to show up on time. They would bring people unannounced. They would bring other guests. And Really what I realized is that, first of all, more is always the merrier in Italy. And the more that you just kind of go with Italy's unregulated bobbing and juices, the better time you're going to have. So, but, you know, in terms of how that played a role into our homeware collection, for sure it did. I was just excited about doing the table, very, very excited about decorating the table. And before I started Double J, I was, as I mentioned, I was a journalist. And so there would be a lot of free time at home, these empty moments of where you get writer's block, there's like nothing happening. And so I would just kind of channel that creativity into the kitchen, into like rearranging something in the house and just allowing the creative juices to flow. And one of the things that I was doing was going to a lot of flea markets and I would just buy a lot of mixed plates. And oftentimes when I had guests for the dessert course, I would give everyone a different dessert plate. And for some reason, this was always a point of conversation and interest and not intrigue, but just playfulness. And so when we launched our first homeware collection, I made sure that our dessert plates were always in mixed sets of six, of six different plates, but that all kind of sung together. And of course, that ended up being our best-selling item and still is today. I mean, we offer it in many different patterns and prints. But when things are born from something you love, I find in my company, they always do well commercially. As an American, now that you've settled into this life in Italy, obviously, after so long, what would you say if you're entertaining as an Italian, especially let's call it something outdoors, what would you say the top three rules to to entertaining? They don't necessarily have to be <laughs> an Italian rule, but it could be your rules for sort of entertaining, especially outdoors. First of all, what's so funny about that question is that Italians are not big on rules. So... That's why you find ski lift lines. Everyone is like literally just there's no lines for the ski lift. It's literally just everyone packed in like cattle. It's so funny. They hate lines. They hate rules. But they are very particular about certain things. There are rules in Italy with regards to food. So, for example, if you get a linguine with clam sauce or you're eating a pasta that has a fish in it with even if it has a red sauce, like they will never put Parmesan cheese on top of that because cheese never goes with fish. Or for example, an Italian will never have more than one cappuccino ever during the day. And they will never drink that after 12 noon. So like the, the idea of to an Italian of having a cappuccino after dinner is like revolting. Yeah, it's laughable. Laughable. Yeah, laughable. Almost embarrassing. It's almost embarrassing. One thing that the Italians do, which I find so chic, is that when you're having a dinner party, they send flowers to you during the day so that that way you have time to unwrap them, select the right vase, put them in your home in the right place. And it's so much nicer than like when suddenly you've got 10 people at your house and there's all these flowers everywhere and you're like, oh my God, I got to cut this and I got to find the vase. That's a very considerate idea for someone who knows who's also entertained. And it shows that you planned it beforehand. <laughs> you didn't just get it on the way over. It's a very, very, very chic thing to do. 
they tend to bring desserts or chocolates. They always assume that you've got everything covered. Sometimes they bring wines, but really an Italian gift is always something a little bit more personal. So either everyone in Italy is making their own olive oil. There's the uncle that's doing it or the great grandma or somebody, somebody's got a farm somewhere and they're making olive oil. So one of my favorite things to do is to receive. I love it when I get so many gifts of olive oil that I don't even need to go shopping for olive oil anymore, which is just amazing. But they, I love it when I really learned this like very personal touch with them. There's always something that's very thoughtful and considered, something that they've made, something that they're growing, something that is from their heart to yours. I know that doesn't quite answer your question about the rules for an Italian dinner party. For me, Number one, art of the aperitivo is so important. So an Italian never eats dinner at seven o'clock. I mean, God forbid somebody invites you to dinner at like six o'clock or 6.30, which happens in the Los Angeles, right? I mean, they would be like, isn't that lunch? They're eating dinner. They invite you for nine. You're sitting down for dinner at 10. Now, as an American and as someone that goes to bed early and likes to wake up early, this has been torturous for 20 years. And the one thing that saved me is their tradition of the aperitivo, which starts at seven o'clock. And that's where people join for drinks. And it's never just, I mean, when you go to a, a restaurant or a bar or a cocktail place for aperitivo, I mean, they never just hand you a bowl of nuts. It is always a full spread of delicacies. And this is really mimicked in the home as well. So it's like a really important part of the meal. I will throw in some American things like hummus or guacamole or whatever, but this is very much the time for all the Italian cheeses and all of the cured meats and amazing almonds and olives. And does JJ Martin do a pig in a blanket? I do not. You know, I'm actually not a big, um, not a big meat eater, although I'm happy to serve it to, to my guests, but I have not yet done a pig in the blanket. <laughs> but I, you know, that's not never say never. Personally, when I do an aperitivo, I love to set it all up on my two tables in my living room and to have like a bar set up that I am manning. So it's like, I don't have to run back to the kitchen or like the housekeeper doesn't need to help us, et cetera. Like, I think it's so much more fun when you can like set up the bar station there with you. And that really informed my decision of all the glasses we make at Double J. We have so many different things from champagne coupes to water and wine glasses. And I love it that you have this very colorful Murano glass display because it almost looks like an art installation on your table, which I love. And the other thing that the Italians do, because I've, I've just been at two dinner parties in New York the, in these last days in the Hamptons. And it was really interesting because there was a very long cocktail hour with not that much food. And then dinner was so short and a lot of food in a really short amount of time. That never happens in Italy. So like the, the Italian dinner is always like one course, then another, then another, and then a conversation. And so it's sort of, you know, the, you don't shove all your food onto one plate. <laughs> they really, they really use um, these different, it's, it's more of like a rhythm. Everything in, in Italy is slower, everything. So even their eating is slower. And then the way that they have their dinner parties is slower. And there's a lot more lounging around and, um, conversation. And I don't know if that's I'm making a generalization or not, but I just noticed it. Before we return to JJ, a word from our sponsor, Janice AC. In the world of design, an appreciation of the outdoors is more important in our lives than ever before. 
Enter Janice AC. As a leader in outdoor furniture for more than 40 years, the brand combines unparalleled levels of craft and engineering to create works by the world's best designers and architects, from Andre Fu and Gabellini Shepard to Piero Lissoni. But beyond the incredible products and designs, Janice AC provides a level of service and expertise that's always best in class. The Knot Collection is one of those incredible designs that will never go out of style and is versatile enough to work in a warm and traditional home or a starkly modern urban retreat. Engineered to withstand the outdoor elements without fading or fraying, Knot is just as equally suited for casual indoor spaces. This wide-ranging collection, from counter stools and sofas to cocktail tables, is defined by its unique materiality that only Janus AC could deliver on. Each seat and back is tightly hand-woven in olefin rope around a barely-there aluminum frame. The line comes in two colors, a sophisticated modern cream called Fossil and a dark gray called Shale. My personal favorite is the three-seater, ideal for a poolside party or just a quiet nap in the sun. To acquire your own set from this cohesive collection, make an appointment at your local Janus AC showroom or visit JanusAC.com. That's J-A-N-U-S-E-T. C-I-E.com. If you were with friends here in the States and they told you to throw a dinner party outside here for the summer, and that's what this little series is about, so look at the great outdoors in different ways, how would you translate that into, would you translate it the same way? Would you say that's the way the Italians do it, is like kind of slow in one course at a time, that that's the way to go? Is that the way to go? I think that when you're outdoors, first of all, one of my favorite things is connecting more to nature. So yes, I love a set table and it's so beautiful, but the more that you can spend actually with your feet in the sand or in the grass and like with your back up against a tree, that for me is an incredible experience. And I just recently got to do that because my co-host an event with Beth Buccini of Kierno Zabet in Amagansett. And it was just spectacular to have everyone barefoot on the beach. They're wearing their gowns. They're wearing their silk gowns that are good enough for black tie. But the minute you take your shoes off and you're in the sand, you just want to sit. You just want to get lower. You want to ground. You want to get connected to Mother Earth. That for me, when you're outdoors, this is what we're really tapping into. And it's amazing to just be under the sun. I like to have earlier moments. I mean, if you can catch a sunset, that is such a magical moment. I also like, because I'm so into my spiritual practice, we even had like an energy circle before we even started that dinner on the beach. It was so beautiful. It's like taking the place of having these rituals is really taking the place of what once was prayer before a meal. And it's fun to be able to be creative with that and to kind of create something that's very meaningful and just sets a sacred space for your group. But that's not Italian at all. That's just something that I love. But the Italians kind of do this naturally because they are, when they're outdoors, what I love about the Italian way of doing things is that you just, you're allowed to make things a little bit chaotic. You're allowed to just go with the flow. Things don't need to be so regimented and perfect. And at the beginning, I was a really high maintenance hostess, I was very concerned that things weren't quote unquote perfect. And what I realized in Italy is that there's just so much tolerance for things kind of going a little bit wrong and then laughter and play always being that energetic that you need to just loosen the grease and get everyone bobbing and get everyone laughing. And nobody cares what happens. Like even when your turkey catches fire in the oven, like it happened to me one year in Thanksgiving in Milan. So you have more of that flexibility. I would say 
for outdoor entertaining, the more that you can spend during the aperitivo hour, which is that period that has a lot more freedom. People aren't glued to their seats. Music is a must. It is so important. And then in terms of like the actual sit down, I mean, maybe Americans do have it right. Just have that quicker. (laughs) But typically in Italy, you're doing things. They last a lot longer. Dinners last a lot longer. So we spoke about aperitivo, which is like Italian happy hour. Now, what about the drinks? So Italians are hilarious. When I first moved there, it was so funny because I had come from New York where everyone was drinking vodka tonics during cocktail hour. They do typically do not drink vodka, gin, or tequila before dinner. Those are after dinner drinks. Isn't that funny? So that's like what they call their super alcoholici. And they normally drink those when they're going to a nightclub. It's really, the Italians have so many rules. It's really hilarious. Of course, things have changed. And sometimes people do have a vodka before dinner, but it's just not so typical. The other thing the Italians do, which I think the Americans can learn from, is that typically during the aperitivo hour, it's one drink, maybe two, but that would be a stretch. Is that just because people are being... They're moderate. Slowly, slowly drinking? They're moderate. A lot of people who entertain, especially if there's family, there's definitely going to be some... People are going to definitely need more than one drink. Yes, I know. I know. It's so funny. Well, and I had with my husband's family, he grew up in Pesaro, which is on the Adriatic coast. It's right on the beach. And I just remember thinking it was so weird. Like his family never had an aperitivo hour. Like wine was only served with the meal. Like you just would not drink if it wasn't at the table. It was so interesting. The aperitivo is a very Milanese tradition. They do drink before the meal and typically they drink bubbles. So they drink their spumante, which is their version of the sparkling wines. It's the Italian champagne, let's say. So spumante, you cannot go wrong. Like if you just bring your sparkling, very chilled wine, an Italian is very, very, very pleased. Beyond that, what I would do is I always have vodka, gin, tequila in my house for the odd American that's in town, but an Italian almost never asks for it. An Italian will take a spumante or they will take an Aperol spritz. I really went through my period of Aperol spritz. I mean, I loved those. And believe me, I was drinking more than one before dinner, but they have a lot of sugar in them. So after a while, that became a little bit too heavy on my system. Would you serve everyone's, I love this drink, but it is everywhere to the point where it, I'm waiting for the trend to be over, the Negroni. Would you serve a Negroni at home? So Negronis are not served typically at someone's house, but they are served in cocktail bars. Huh. Why do you think that is? Is it just too heavy? I just think that Italians are more accustomed to just the sparkling wine before dinner and then like moving. and also. You know, typically when you meet someone out in Milan, you don't meet them first for the aperitivo, then the dinner. It's usually, it's the aperitivo, it's two hours, and then everyone goes home and like grabs whatever, whatever else they needed, or maybe they'll have a dinner, but it's sort of one or the other. What about buffet? Like, is it buffet? Is that acceptable? Oh God, buffets are great. And by the way, that's my favorite dinner party. Especially for outdoor? 
outdoor, it's perfect. Because then can't you just imagine everyone around the pool and like everyone taking their own seats in lounge chairs or just buffet is the best. I personally love that because it just gives people an opportunity to like pick and choose at their own time, at their own leisure, at their own pleasure. You don't have to deal with food preferences. You don't have to deal with any of that. And and then it just gets everyone mingling better. I just love a party when people are free to be butterflies and gravitate towards the person that they naturally are magnetized towards. And Italians do buffets really beautifully. And they are, what I've noticed is that oftentimes in Italy, they'll start with what is a primo. So a primo would be a pasta or a risotto or a soup, okay? So typically what might happen at a big dinner party is that the risotto is passed with, by weight, if you have like more than like 10 people at home, like you'll pass that and people will be standing. And then once that's done, the table is laid for all of the secondi, the second round, which can be meat or fish and all the vegetables, et cetera. And that becomes the buffet. But they would never put pasta and meat on the same buffet table. Like it's just like a no-no. Oh, I see. It's railroaded. Like one thing has to kind of leave before the next thing can come out. Absolutely. And how much time in between? It's very subjective. More time than it would be in America because you're always sort of like, there's no timetables in Italy. They're never followed. I mean, that's just the, the that's just the reality of living there. I mean, it's all my friends come and they're like, where's our waiter? I'm like, he's on his own timetable. It's okay. We will get served eventually. If you were doing a dinner for your own friends at home, do you offer coffee after everything is done and everyone's at the kind of end of the meal? If it was a formal dinner or even a, or even a buffet after the last course? If you do not offer coffee to an Italian after dinner, they are going to go home really grumpy. So that's like a absolute must. I will say even during design week, I have noticed during very fancy dinners, like one after the other, after the other, after the other, not being offered coffee. Really? Yeah. In someone's home or at a restaurant? At a venue, I would say, like, or something like that. And maybe they just think, well, most people here aren't Italian, and so <laughs> they won't really care. They don't really want it, so we're not going to offer it. But that, to me, and here in New York, too, like, this kind of, like, that coffee. And I grew up in a household that was quasi-Italian, and that was, of course, you had to offer coffee or tea. If you didn't offer coffee or tea, that meant that everyone just kind of wanted to get the hell out of there. Totally. Totally. I personally don't drink coffee anymore. So it's always my espresso maker. I have one of those old mochas and they definitely taste better the more you use them. So probably the coffee I'm serving is not that good, but I always offer it. I have found, however, that kind of more modern health conscious people in Italy, because they are arriving, some health conscious people in Italy, took a while, but they're coming. They do prefer a tisana, a herbal tea. Hmm, okay. But that's also super fun. Like Honestly, all of these moments of Italian rituals and entertaining all make it into my collections at Double J. So it's like you have the espresso cups, then you have the big tea cups, then you have the aperitivo dishes, you have the aperitivo plates. Like you've got all of the pasta plate, then the dinner plate, then the dessert plates. It's it's always like a like a stratified cake of tableware <laughs> based on the way that they eat their food. So you host incredible parties and I'm sure you've attended some great ones too. Any that stick out in your mind? 
you know, another place that's great for outdoor entertaining is all the islands of Italy. I have a real love of Italian islands, whether it's Sicily, which is the biggest island of them all, Sardinia, Capri, Pantelleria, these just, they're just spectacular. We were, oh, I was just at a really, really great outdoor party on the Amalfi Coast for my friend Matteo Toon, who's an architect, his 70th birthday. And they had rented this beautiful villa that had an incredible property that extended all the way down this like stepped gardens and this long rocky step pathway to the sea. And his wife, of course, Suzanne, who's just a magic maker, she started with cocktails under the sort of bougainvillea. Then we walked down and had dinner under like the lemon grove, that just one long table, all these lemons. And then the dance floor was outdoor as well on a grassy area. Dancing outdoors is one of my favorite pursuits. Marie-Louise Show at, of the Pelicano Hotels, she throws parties twice a year, post-Avecchia, that are daytime parties. And she starts the eating of the meals at 11 or noon. And by two o'clock, the music is so fabulous. She hires this great club DJ from London to come. And we dance like maniacs next to the seaside under the sun, watching the sunset until 8 p.m. So we dance for like six hours straight and then she serves everyone a pasta just standing and everyone goes home at nine. It is the best (laughs) party. That's a good idea. Isn't that a great one? It's basically a dance party with pasta after. It's a dance party with pasta. You've had your lunch, so then you have this whole fueling thing, dancing. And and recently I've been dancing totally sober, which is, I mean, sometimes I drink a little bit. Sounds like an acquired taste. It's an acquired taste, but I have to tell you, once you get into the groove, you will not believe the endorphins set in and you're in such a natural high. I go crazy dancing during the day at these parties. That's what I love most about outdoor entertaining is the dancing part. Is that an Italian thing? I can't really think. Well, it's happened a lot in Italy. I haven't done it much in America. I don't know. Yeah, outside of a wedding. Yeah, I mean, I think Marie Louise is quite a modern Italian. She's half Italian, half American. It's not a traditional Italian thing to do. But in Italy, the tradition is joyfulness and playfulness. So if you start dancing, like that's a very joyful thing. Like no one is going to judge you. It's great. Are there any other kind of like pre-planned joyfulness things that someone could bring to to an outdoor skinny dipping. Okay, so I have skinny dipped butt naked two times in the last month. One at 2 a.m. after Suzanne Toon's party ended, at 20 people went all the way down in the pitch black and jumped off the cliffs into the sea on the Amalfi Coast. And we were. Were you sober? I was dead sober. Many people were not. And we were all butt naked. It was unbelievable. And two nights ago when I had the dinner party in Amagansett, when we were all barefoot and seated in the sand for the dinner party, at the very end, everyone went home and my friend, Ashley Baker, who I was staying with, we're like, let's go skinny dipping. We took all of our clothes off and jumped in the raging ocean. It was pitch black. It's exhilarating. This is my favorite part of outdoor anything. Get in a pool, do whatever. It's just like, I think it's so important that when we think about the entertaining, yes, there's the formal aspect 
aspects of it and all of the beauty and all of the kind of planning, et cetera. And then you just want to let go and have some fun. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to do dancing, you might as well <laughs> skinny dip. If you've got a pool, which I think is that at least is something that a lot of Americans would have or more likely to have a pool. Absolutely. Rather than access to an island or a beach necessarily. Exactly. But just saying, if you ever do have, but also I think it's really fun for people. We had that beautiful setup on the beach for the Kierna Zabet dinner for Double J. And obviously there was someone there to prepare the table and all of the bonfire and have all of the tiki torches and all of the pillows around it. And it was spectacular and gorgeous. And we sat in the sand. You don't necessarily need to have something that organized. I mean, I think people should think more about doing picnics on the beach and bringing friends there and just bringing two amazing tablecloths and setting it up and just allowing yourself to do something that's not necessarily so perfect and sophisticated, but just you're getting the same flavor. Before we return to the program, a word from our sponsor, Janice AC. While Janice AC has an abundance of incredible furnishings available, one can't forget about the finishing touches that complete every space, the accessories. Janice AC has accessories for both indoors and out. From minimal hurricane lanterns and vases to barely there bar carts, and extravagant ceramic sculptures. My favorite would be probably the Ambrosia collection of porcelain pomegranates. These high-gloss objets come in various sizes and can be used to add a bit of fantastical splendor to any patio or living room. Make an appointment at your local Janus AC showroom or visit JanusAC.com. That's J-A-N-U-S-E-T-C-I-E.com. My next guest is a hostess I can totally vouch for, Rebecca Gardner of Houses and Parties. In September of last year, I had the opportunity to join Rebecca and her friends for a dinner party at her incredible home in the charming and historic town of Savannah, Georgia. The soiree was co-hosted by the French Silver House of Puyfarquet, which made the entire evening in a beautiful tent, outdoors in the southern air, even more elegant. Think cold martinis, embroidered linen napkins, and white tuxedo jacket wearing staff. I felt as if Truman Capote was going to appear at any moment. I wanted to ask Rebecca how she learned to become such a welcoming host, her advice for the next generation, and why you should never ask someone for their dietary requirements. So tell me a little bit about yourself before houses and parties, like throwing great events is sort of a full-time job for you. So tell me about your life before that. My life before houses and parties, I was just doing my own houses and parties. I mean, even since I was a little girl, I was throwing parties. But now we have three arms. We do interiors and design events. And we have an e-com shop, which is sort of exercise in fantasy for me, which was a COVID baby. <laughs> and what was the what was sort of your first ever event that you did professionally? Oh, gosh. The first event that I ever did professionally was a seated dinner in Watermill in the summer for Lauren Santo Domingo. And it was a seated dinner. We had, I think, Roberta's come and do the food. I can't remember. But the main thing, which was indicative of how naive I was, is that we went to prop shops all over the city and every chair was a different chair and every plate was chipped and wonderful and different Royal Copenhagen or whatever. And I did the flowers myself and went to 28th Street. And I came from Savannah with a giant Toomey suitcase full of sterling silver. 
And I was intimidated by the idea of renting a car. And so I took the train and I had a giant Tumi suitcase full of sterling silver on the train. So you can imagine that, excuse me, excuse me, pardon me, so sorry, would you mind, excuse me, as it rattled down the seats. So I was sort of an event warrior then, as I am now, but in a different way. <laughs> and how many people were at that event? Oh, I don't know, maybe 40. Oh, wow. Okay. So it was a big, it was a big deal. It was not a big deal. It was easy breezy summer, but what was a big deal was all the effort into the detail and schlepping all of that stuff out to the Hamptons and making sure that everything was polished and getting it on the train. And it was a start to my excruciating tenacity to have every little thing charming and not rental. <laughs> and how are you dividing your time up now? Because I think the last time that I had been to that amazing event at your own home, your e-commerce had just sort of gotten started. So I, I can only assume that this sort of pandemic era has kind of supercharged it. It has supercharged it, yes. During COVID, I was not really in New York at all, understandably. And most of my friends from New York came to Savannah. But we have done this e-com since October of 2020. So we've really hauled ass to get that together. At the start of the pandemic, I was sort of like a, a bride with all of her tear sheets from like Martha Stewart weddings over the past 15 years. So I knew exactly what I wanted. I just had to put it together. And now that things are, are somewhat back to normal, I'm back in New York 50-50. Parties have started again and interior design is obviously bigger than ever. When people come to you to plan an event, like what would you say that they come to you for? Excruciating effort. <laughs> How so? Other than lugging a Tumi suitcase full of silver. Sure. On a train. But like when it comes to like your events, like what kind of that kind of effort do they kind of like see in you, you think? Clients come to me that want parties within a framework of classic good taste, but with lots of surprises and irreverence. And so I think that the main reason that clients come to me is because my parties are fun. They're lighthearted. They are a little wild. We encourage good people to have bad behavior, kind of like a woman in the most tailored, beautiful dress can get away with a little more than someone not. But all of that requires, in order to look easy and breezy, it requires just that much more effort and attention to detail and work. And so we do that work so that our clients can sort of win like most popular, best entertainer, most likely to succeed, homecoming queen, all within the same swoop in the same season. Yeah. So I think mostly people come to me because they want a fun party that's a little wild and definitely beautiful. And give me a little bit of a contrast for the listener, like the smallest event you've produced for somebody and the largest. Oh, we do parties of all sizes. We have done dinners for 30 to like events for Carnegie Hall for 500. So we definitely run the gamut. I really like doing smaller events for like maximum of 60 people, allowing me to romantically step back and twist the pea tendrils around the wine glass. And I mean, of course, your home is in Savannah, Georgia, a beautiful town with a lot of character and history and a kind of an inherent sense of style. And your home is, it is incredible. And I'll, I'll let you describe it. How much of your sort of inherent sort of style and the way that you think about entertaining, how is that sort of tied to your roots in Savannah? 
Sure. I've lived in Savannah for a really long time, since 2003. And Savannah is so lush and so beautiful. And what I love about Savannah is that because it's a cosmopolitan city, but it's quite small. And it's quintessentially Southern, but it has this amazing youthful population in historic downtown because of Savannah College of Art and Design. So you have thousands of young art students from all over the world. And Savannah is also, I believe, the fourth largest port in the nation. So people are really here from all over and people are coming in and out all the time, whether it's for the film festival or for the Philharmonic or the port or work. Gulfstream is also located here. So the great thing about parties in Savannah is that there are people of all ages. There are people from all different backgrounds. And so I think that that is the ultimate ingredient. You can spend whatever you want. The sky's the limit on flowers and beautiful china and fancy food and heaps of caviar. But at the end of the day, if your guests are a bore, your party is the pit. So I, I, that is something that I've learned from Savannah. And then of course, Savannah is the hostess city. Sherman gave Savannah to Lincoln as a Christmas present and didn't burn it to the ground on his march to the sea. And so there's a great tradition of hospitality and entertaining. And I think that one thing that I really love about Savannah is her good manners and good manners for a very sincere cause, and that is to make everyone feel comfortable. And so one thing that I think is really important is you go to all this effort to make your house look beautiful or to pick the right menu or to worry about how much candlelight it, which hides that, of course, is my job. So I don't think any of that frivolous. But if you don't make thoughtful introductions and you're not introducing the people that you've put together, and if it's the same people over and over, which I am at fault for doing because it's comfortable, then it's kind of all for naught. So I think that Savannah has encouraged that and living here, it's something that I always keep top of mind. And when it comes to the secret to entertaining, you mentioned the guest list, but especially when it comes to outdoors, as this little special series is about the great outdoors, what is your sort of number one thing you'd like to keep in mind when it comes to entertaining outdoors specifically? Well, I don't know if it's specific to outdoors, Dan, but like when you decorate a house, you start with the architecture. And when you decorate a party, you start with the venue. So I like to do things outdoors that are a little unexpected. I think especially after COVID, I'm so sick of seeing my patio. And so I always think like, okay, well, when I'm in Savannah, there's a fabulous tree in that park around the corner. We should have a picnic there. Or in New York, that left side of Washington Square Park is so wonderful, sort of away from like the cheap weed and the hula hooping or whatever. Like where is a place that you can go that's not typical? And even if it is on your own back lawn, like is there a wonderful tree that has great shade? I guess in outdoors, if you're entertaining during the day, the, the issue is the shade. And if you're entertaining at night, the issue is the lighting because you certainly don't want down lights over your head. That would make every woman want to go home early and have 10 vodkas. If you're entertaining outdoors, how do you kind of like to plan? Are you someone who likes to make lists and sort of like check them off? Like, how do you kind of keep yourself organized for something like this? Oh, 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm General Patton. Are you kidding? Yeah, but I make lists. The main thing that we do is a run of show. And when entertaining outdoors, I, I think the most important thing is to have a rain plan. And that can be a tent. When I hosted that party in Savannah at my house for Puyfourcat, there were no tents to be had. And so I bought this sort of like white trash car cover, like, like that you can put together in five minutes. You see them sort of on the side of the highway with old rusted Cadillacs underneath them. And we covered it in branches. And I hope, I guess you would be the ultimate judge of what it looked like, but I think it looked okay. <laughs> I will say, if you hadn't told me that that you found it that way, I never would have thought. It looked like you had really planned this special, amazing good outdoor experience. That brings up a good point because you and I met at that amazing dinner that you had hosted for Puy Forcat, the legendary French silver house. What do you tell like your friends when they're saying like, oh, I'm doing like a big lunch outdoors or something like that? Or I don't know, should I be buying everything new? Or like, how do I, people don't have access to prop houses <laughs> normally. Like, so what kind of advice do you give when it comes to the kind of kidding out of everything as, as you might say? Well, just because you're outdoors doesn't mean that you shouldn't use all of your good stuff. Like there's no reason. I think people immediately start thinking, okay, well, I need melamine plates and paper napkins. I mean, that is so ridiculous. And also throwing all that stuff away is not good for our environment. So I say, use your good stuff and use it over and over. And as far as planning, it's just like getting dressed. Like if you have great legs, wear a shorter skirt. If you've got a great chest, then how about, you know, a V-neck, whatever. So use what you have to work with. And so maybe you have some beautiful plates that were your grandmother's, or maybe you have some great linens that you got at a market. But start first with what you have. And of all the parties that you've been to as a guest, is there one that sticks out in your mind as just sort of like the perfect meal outdoors or the perfect event that kind of remains a gold standard in your, in your mind? To me, it's always about the people first. And so the parties that are the most fun to me are with people that I really love and then meeting someone new. I mean, it's a fabulous gift to give someone. It doesn't matter where you are in the country. I was about to say like in Savannah, it's so fun to meet someone new because it's a smaller town, but really the magic of New York is that you never know who's going to be at that party or who's going to be around the corner. And so to me, the people are the most important. And then to create an environment that everyone feels very comfortable in, whether you look sexy in low candlelight or you always have a full cold drink in your hand or your host has made an effort to, to make sure everyone knows something interesting about you. But the parties that are most fun for me have nothing to do with the food, but it's about an environment conducive to having a blast. You, you have to serve something so people don't pass out, but <laughs> and to our friends that are listening, maybe from Italy or from France or from Japan, as people listen all over the place, what would you say are some foods that you feel like are your classic go-tos for outdoor that might be not native to Savannah, but definitely like Southern cooking that you kind of feel like your go-tos? Well, I always serve fried chicken because it doesn't have to be hot and it is beautiful with good champagne. So that's a good high-low that is delicious. And then I always make sure that I have lots of options for people that have dietary requirements. I would never ask if you have a dietary requirement because that is opening 
Pandora's box. So I just always make sure that there are lots of options so it's not a thing. And I think cold salads are delicious. And just making sure that you have lots and lots of choices of yummy things that are from the season. I mean, entertaining outdoors is normally during summer. And so peaches and beautiful tomatoes and I love okra. I mean, that's very Southern. I'm sounding very Southern right now, but all these things are available at farm stands. And I don't consider myself a foodie at all, but I do know what works and what can be done in advance and still be elegant on the table. And when you're talking to people, it seems like there is a generational gap in terms of how we entertain. And to me, it seems like there's a younger generation of men and women who want to kind of go back in time a little bit and maybe dress things up, make things a little bit more formal, a little bit more creative. And that I could, maybe it's due to Instagram and the fact that everything is now, everything needs to be photographed and outdoors is always like a fun time to do that. Just like everything else in your life. Do you think that's true? Do you think there's like a younger generation that's looking to be a little bit more performative when it comes to like entertaining? Sure. Yes. I think it's a blast. I have all these young girls that work for me that are, God, I guess they're 15 years younger than I. But one of them just said that she wanted to host her, this was just last week, wanted to host her first dinner party. And and I said, okay, well, let's put some things together. Like you can borrow anything that you want. And man, she wanted something really fussy. And that really tickled me. And I I think it's wonderful. I think that performative seems self-important, but I would say that it's a very gracious effort because making a little 20 four inch spot for someone and choosing who's to their right and who's to their left and what flowers are in front of them and how will the light reflect on their face. And I mean, that's a real gift of, I mean, it's my love language, but a real gift of effort. It's a very sweet, tender thing, I think. Yeah, no. And I think people are more into the sort of linen tablecloth and things are a little bit more fussy than maybe they did even just 10 years ago. Thank God. That's my whole business. And let's talk about the most serious topic amongst entertaining, especially outdoors, the cocktail. (laughs) Okay. All right. I'm taking a deep breath. What is your thoughts about the drink menu? Because I remember when I went to your home, I think there was like a signature cocktail. Yes, that you could order other things, but like, and I've kind of seen that more often where people are just offering like one signature incredible cocktail, usually extremely strong. Yeah. At first, I was like wondering why this is becoming popular. And I think it's mostly because it becomes then a touchstone that strangers have all in common. So even if you don't know somebody, you're can saying like, oh, God, this drink is wonderful. This drink is like getting me wasted. That it becomes like something that everybody has in common. You've all been drinking the same thing. It's funny that you're talking about signature cocktails in regard to my party, because when I was thinking of names for this website with this e-commerce site, it one was going to be no signature cocktails because I was so sick of clients saying like, and then we'll have a signature cocktail. And it was normally something sort of fruity and sweet with a squirrely garnish on it. And I always pass something and it could be, I like old fashioned drinks. I like a Negroni. I like an old fashioned. I like a martini. I like a French 75, but that is about as foofy as it gets. So for the party that you went to, which was outside, we had cocktails in my house and I just passed really icy vodka or gin martinis. I probably wouldn't do that if it were people that mostly knew each other. But for that party, people were coming from all over. I had people from Savannah, people from New York, people from California, and and most people didn't know each other. So I thought that was a good 
loosen you up, have a martini. Everyone would have fun if they were relaxed. And I also had the lights really low because I think that also feels more, I don't know. I don't know what it feels. It feels sexier. Certainly you feel more beautiful in candlelight with low light, but something about a martini on an empty stomach and candlelight, I think makes everyone feel more beautiful and then they have more fun. Are you someone who thinks that you have to change up a drinks menu if people are going outside or are you kind of someone who just kind of keeps it all the same? I mean, I think a martini outside is very slim errands, but for some reason, I think when you're outside, you should have a margarita, and I don't really know why. <laughs> Listen, do we really need an excuse for a margarita? But Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Or a piscine or something like that that feels outdoorsy. But specifically, no, I don't think so. Okay. Is there any no-nos? What's your biggest no-no? What's the biggest houses and parties no-no that maybe you tell your staff when you're planning something for entertaining outdoors or not? Just like be like, no, we don't do that here. Oh God, the list is so long, Dan. A no-no. I really think if you have a photographer, there has to be a purpose or else it ruins the whole vibe of the party and the sincerity of the party. We take photos of pretty much every table. I mean, I, I really do entertain a lot personally because it's still incredibly joyful for me even after I've had this job. But we always take photos before guests arrive. I think if you go to someone's party and they have a photographer there and it's not a business party, I think that's very presumptuous. What else? Oh, I hate it when these are totally random, but you've really opened the door here. I hate it when servers pass little shot glasses with soup and you can't get it out of there. And then it's like down your face. I hate martini glasses for the same reason. I think they're very difficult to drink out of. It's one thing if you're at Bimmelman's, but at a party talking, I'd be like Betty Ford with it sloshing around everywhere. I really don't like assembled, pretentious assembled canapes. I like things like cheese straws or bowls of nuts or what was the place in New York that had the, it was just bacon, like baked maple bacon or crudite maybe, but like no dips, no assembled things. Like people should be hungry when they sit at the table. And most of those little assembled things that caterers offer on their list to check off are stinky. Like salmon at a cocktail party, I think that is repulsive to meet someone new. And then even worse, if they've had a glass of Chardonnay on top of a salmon canopy, I mean, your hair will be curly. <laughs> so that was a random list, but you asked for it. <laughs> I hate canopies. <laughs> That'll be the title of this episode. I hate canopies. Yeah. Well, that could have been the title of your site if houses and parties didn't work out. If that wasn't, a, I will go and see if I hate canapes.com is, is taken. Now, I guess one of my last questions would be someone's planning a big event and they're doing, they want to have a big dinner outdoors. Is there a rule of thumb that you would have for somebody when they need to switch over from doing it all yourself to hiring help for that day, whether it's like help in the kitchen or help serving or helping with drinks? Like, do you have, is there like a number of guests where you feel like the average person should bring in outside help? I think any, I mean, for me personally, any more than six people and I, I want somebody to help me. A lot of people could have 10 and you can boss your husband around or your partner around. And then as far as hiring a party planner, I mean, I don't ever hire a party planner, but I'm really organized. 
But I think the advice is really, what are you best at? We talked about earlier, what do you have that you're excited about? Like, what do you have to show off, whether it's a beautiful tablecloth or beautiful china or, or this one room is insane? And then what do you enjoy doing? So I would never fry chicken if I served that. Somebody can do that much better than I, and it would be Popeyes (laughs) or whatever. Or if you don't like to cook, then have someone else do the food and you do the flowers. If you love to cook, you cook and you hire someone to set the table. I mean, whatever. But I think that no matter how many people you're entertaining for up to like, say 40, you should do something yourself or else it feels like there was no love put into it. It's kind of like these people that hire decorators and there's no collaboration and they show up at their house and like some man or woman with an Hermes belt has like lined up the tumblers in the cabinet. I mean, what a luxury. That's pretty fancy and and fabulous to be able to do that, but also kind of soulless. Like you want a little bit of your own. You want something that doesn't fit. You want plastic lizard peeking from behind a palm frond or whatever it might be. But I think you have to do something yourself, even if you just make the damn chocolate sauce that goes on the baked Alaska. I mean, that's something. And if people know you did that, it's quite endearing. Thank you to JJ Martin, Rebecca Gardner, and especially to Janice AC for making this episode happen. To learn more about their incredible collections, visit JaniceAC.com. And join us next week for the second installment of The Great Outdoors. The editor of The Grand Tourist is Jesse Cannon. To keep this going, please follow me on Instagram at Dan Rubenstein to learn more. And sign up with your email for updates at thegrandtourist.net. And don't forget to follow The Grand Tourist on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. And leave us a rating or comment. Every little bit helps. Till next time. (music) 